welcome to another episode of the Gaming Moguls Podcast. The only podcast where we've changed the flip the table button on Tabletop Simulator to say yeet. I'm your host tonight, Mr. Mark Teske, along with my co-host, Mr. Jacob Gloffenstein. Jake, how are you tonight? Doing wonderful. Doing wonderful mainly because I am the main yeeter of the table at the very end of the game, which is honestly a big reason I like to play games on Tabletop Simulator. Get to live out my angry, petulant child lifestyle, but I never get to live in real life. After your performance on Great Western Trail the other night, I think you had every reason in the world to eat the table. 100%. It's the new meta. You just have to lose by enough so people don't feel bad about you eating the table once it's over, you know? <laughs> we'll get into that a little bit more later, but that is one of the most satisfying parts about Tabletop Simulator that doesn't exist in real life. The ability well, it to does. toss the table at a bad... <laughs> it well, does. Yes. It does exist, but it's not socially acceptable. <laughs> and it's so enabled on tabletop somewhere. It's so fun. How have everything's been with you and your family during the social isolation slash Corona time 2020? You know, so far, so good. I have I have some mixed feelings on it. On one hand, it's, you know, what's happening and the real impact on people that it's having on their jobs and their lives and their health is absolutely a tragedy. And, you know, I look forward to more than anything to get that on the other side and uh, so we can start all healing again and getting back to what life used to be. On the other side, I think there might be some side benefits from us all just slowing down a little bit and spending a little more thoughtful time with each other. And I think personally with my family, in a weird way, we'll look back and go, wow, that was a terrible time and it was stressful. But you know what? We as a family really got closer together and enjoyed some quality time together. And I think that's actually right. a hidden golden lining to the cloud. So much of life is go, 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 work, work, work. To take a breath for maybe a month isn't the worst thing in the world. The only issue is the breath is not a very relaxing breath because you're worried about your health and you're worried about supplies of toilet paper and all that stuff. Well, I'm happy to hear that everything's yes. going well with you. It's a very mask inhibited breath. Yes. Um, everything's <laughs> fine with me, too. My wife works in healthcare, but they've been somewhat slowed down her uh, actual firm. So all is good there. She's not working as much, but you're all safe and sound. So we have an action packed podcast for listeners today. Let's start with it. But before we do that, I think we have a little bit of news or a big thank you, I think, to get out. Yeah, we got a few random topics we want to butt through before we get into our real topics for the night. First up, I want to give a big thanks to one of our listeners named Mark Morris, who put in a whole bunch of time and effort to create a geek list on Board Game Geek to itemize out all of our gaming moguls ratings out there and then start a discussion on both the mogul scale itself and to each individual rating on there. And boy, it was it was great to see all the effort, and it was really great to see all the uh, discussion that came out of it. For about a week there, we were actually on the BGG hot list with the Gaming Mogul scale, and Which that was super, super cool. cool. Super cool just seeing, and then it was fun seeing everybody push back on what our rankings were. The only regret that we have is we've kind of mentioned it, but we've dragged our feet a little bit, and we were going to re-standardize some of the numbers or re-rank some of them because... If you think of the gaming world as like a bell curve of both strategy and uh, weight of rules, you kind of have to make some concessions at certain points, right? How much of the tail do you want a one or a five to cover? Do you want that to cover a whole wide gamut of games or do you want it to be kind of reserved for a smaller amount of day? Same thing with every point in that. However wide the bell curve section is for each number, we were going to kind of reformulate. And I don't think we ended up doing that. So a couple of the numbers are even by our own volition kind of bad, but Maybe that's kind of a good thing because we always plan for this just to be a way for us to talk about games. It would be amazing if it were to be turned into some sort of like app development or put into BGG or something along those lines. Oh, I know. <laughs> it would be great if some of our friends that have done uh, game related websites would just add that in there so that we can have some community additions to that. That'd be cool. Cough. Geek group cough. Oh, was that? Did that come out? <laughs> come on, Phil, help us out. Come help on, a brother please. out. Uh, yes. Yeah, so but and and by the way, if you don't know what this is, geekgroup.app is the coolest thing out there. It's a way to take a real interesting cross section, not only of your gaming habits, but your friends' gaming habits as well, and find out like how you overrate things and underrate things versus others, and your play histories and the kind of games you like. It's super cool. So if you haven't been to geekgroup.app, check it out. And while you're there, click the tip button because uh, man. Bill has put an unbelievable amount of work into this thing and really created something amazing. Well, quite honestly, Board Game Geek is just a background tool. It's just a database for me to run Geek Group on top of. You know, every time I do plays, every time I do anything. I mean, I still use Board Game Geek as a forum, but like anytime I want to look at my collection, there's no chance I'm going to the collection page, you know, on BGG. I'm going straight to Geek Group to, to, to see everything. 
Yeah, it's really cool. So it would be nice to have some actual programmatic way of tracking mogul scale ratings. And the challenge we found is that we live in a world where there's both tic-tac-toe and the campaign for North Africa. And that's a really big gulf between those two. And the other problem is we don't play all those things, right? We have a micro niche in which we play. Therefore, you're right. We haven't rated a lot of abstracts, but we rated a lot of things that fit into the pocket of what we do, which is yet another argument for, hey, it'd be great if we had some community contributions. Agreed. Yeah, it'd be be just so cool to see the macroscopic thing of BGG and be able to put it because it'd be fun to see what people actually decide are the games that really punch above its weight. Yeah, for sure. You know, we'd have to pitch it in some way, though, that it doesn't have an intrinsic bias by thinking games that punch above its weight. I'm using this in air quotes. You can't tell listeners, but are, are is not intrinsically radio, a good Great thing. That I know, right? Um, <laughs> is is not a good thing, a good attribute of the game. You know, you can't just rate every game that you like above being on the line or above the line does not mean anything in regards to quality of the game. But yeah, it was really cool. Really fun to see that in BGG. I should have contributed more, but I was slammed with work with all this craziness. So. Also, too, Jake, you uh, introduced me to a new game, which is now getting a bigger release. Why don't you tell us yeah. about that? Yeah. So we were fortunate enough, kind of one of our last pre-quarantine game days, um, about a two weeks before everything kind of hit the fan. And we played 1882 by Mark Foyer, talked about in our last podcast episode. Um, and we actually played that just to kind of try something. And it was fast. And we actually played it with Scott Peterson, who was going to publish it. So That was really fun to be able to see kind of the new artwork and stuff for it. And I thought it'd be important to kind of announce that it's out for pre-order now. So um, we usually don't both own 18xx games. Usually I think it becomes something where you defer to me to collect all of them because I have the weird thorn in my side of buying all these games. And 1882 is one that I think we both pre-ordered. Mark, why do you feel like you we both need to own 1882? Well, the biggest one is that we played it twice in a four-hour period. And if you're into 18xx games, that's a typical time zone for one game, one playthrough. Like, you're going to play one game for an entire four-hour period. So something that only took two hours per playthrough, and that was running all the way to bankruptcy, uh, that has an unbelievable amount of applicability, where now it's not the, what we're playing that night. It's just part of what we're playing that night. Or I can play it with some of my friends that are a little more deliberate in their thinking and it doesn't become an eight-hour affair. And it was just, man, it was a lot of bang for your buck, right? I mean, things kind of happen fast and furious. It was an exciting play. I don't know how to put it. Agreed. It's an 1830 derivative, so you already kind of know how to play it if you played 1830. And it adds to that real tightness in the economy. In fact, I lost badly the first play. Tightness in everything. Um, And one quick clarification before, before I make a couple more points about this is, we actually played in four hours, one to bankruptcy and one full to breaking the bank set. So even the longest version, because apparently this game ends most of the time in bankruptcy. I, that's not been my perception of the game, but better players tell me that that's what happens. Agreed with you on every point. Everything in this game's tight. The privates are really neat. They're pretty expensive depending on how much capital you have. So you're not going to be able to float two companies really at the start of the game. Um, they do really interesting things. The map is really tight with the tightness of the home tiles and it's just really, really, really cool. I agree. I think it fits a really good niche in both of our collections for 18xx games. And I think I might even more highly rate this one than like 1849 for fast games. You know, just yep. really quick, get it through, really fun. Could probably be a good teaching game too, because a lot of the main rules aren't that weird. It's just you have to keep track of these weird privates, which may or may not happen, you know? So we can look forward to a year from now, all the discussions on what's a better teaching game, 1889 or 1882? Right. The 80s competition. So check it out at allaboardgames.com if you think it's something you need. I know we're big fans of it. And uh, thank you, Mark, for putting out such an awesome game. Not you, Mark. Other Mark. Mark Boyer. <laughs> yeah. Mark Boyer. Uh, I highly, if you're into 18xx, this is this is a real winner. So couldn't recommend Agreed. it more. Go check it out at allaboardgames.com. Moving into the main topic or one of the main topics, um, we should formally kind of apologize to the listeners that I always expect for us to talk about the games we played this week at this point in time in the episode. We tried that a couple of times, but we kept on finding because we are apart from each other. We're playing online or through different methods. And so we have a section in this podcast talked about socially distanced gaming, and there's no chance to talk about what we played about this week unless we talk about how we play them. We kept on steering back and it was a whole bunch of chaos. It (laughs) It was super awkward. But rest assured, as soon as we're done with this section, then we will talk about the games that we played. Heck yeah. So let's start it Um, with the COVID-19 pandemic that's currently on. I'm sure you all are aware of it. We are not able to gather in person anymore, right? For the health of the community, we are happy to do that. But thankfully, 
because we live in the modern day, we have a myriad of opportunities to play games with each other through these wonderful computer devices that we all sit in front of all day at work. And we are actually able to continue, at least in some capacity, playing games, which is really fun. So we thought we'd talk about kind of some of our favorite versions of how we play games online. Yeah, and there's a lot of different ways to play these different games online. And we are not even going to pretend to talk about about all of them because A, we haven't played all of them, and B, we don't like all of them. So we're going to kind of cut right to the chase and just talk about our two favorite uh, gaming moguls endorsed way of doing this and uh, talk about some of the things we love about it. This is not a review. This is just some of our uh, tips, tricks, and pointers around how to do socially distanced gaming. And I'm going to start off the conversation with something called Tabletop Simulator. Tabletop Simulator is, it's interesting. It's been around for a long time, and it's like it was waiting for its day in the sun. We've tried it before. We played several years ago. We played a few games online at night, and it just it never really caught on because we could always play in person and that was always a better experience. So we never, we never had to get good at tabletop simulator. And now, you know, smash cut to 2020 and it's had several years to mature and get actually really good and pretty stable. Agreed. And now the perfect scenario for its day in the sun. I, uh, what tabletop simulator is, is it is a sandbox environment. It's a sandbox, meaning it just provides you game pieces and then you play the game. It's a physics engine and game pieces. That's it. There is zero rules enforcement at all. It is up to you as the player to know the game and enforce the rules. And both Jake and I have a pretty strong preference for that style of game versus a moderated game. Jake, wouldn't you agree with me? Could not agree more. Whenever I play like an app, like a pass and play app on an iPad for like Lords of Waterdeep or something along those lines, I just zone out because it provides me all my options all written up. And it just, I don't know, it just doesn't feel like I'm playing a board game. It feels like I'm playing a really boring video game. Yeah, it really, I feel super disconnected from the game when the game is just doing everything for me and I just occasionally have to make a decision. That just, that's not interesting to me and it doesn't even feel like I'm playing the game. So is it more difficult to actually know the game and play it? Of course it is, but I feel more like I'm really playing a game when I do it that way. Could not agree more. The reason we love Tabletop Simulator, first off, is that reason, is it provides us with a full sandbox environment that we can just go ahead and play a game as if we're playing a game in real life. Second reason is, holy mackerel, is there a lot of content available for it? Well, there's, it's amazing. There's a million games. I literally went through my entire game collection and added every title I could find out of the Steam Workshop for it. And I bet I got somewhere around 80% of my game collection added into my tabletop simulator collection just by click, 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 click. It was and just not the normal ones, too. I mean, you've got weird things like Eggs of Ostrich we'll talk about in a bit. You know, it's not just like, OK, Agricola and Caverna. I think better than half of my uh, my own collection was available on there. I mean, I pulled up and looked at uh, Fake Artist Goes to New York. I actually kind of want to play that now. It looks actually really sweet. <laughs> a lot of my beefs about Fake Artist in person actually kind of seem to be fixed by tabletop simulator it looks really cool well and at least from my perception of what tabletop simulator is used um back in the day whenever i'd go on steam you'd see like kind of what was going on with tabletop simulator it seems like a lot of people are playing social deduction games on there like there's a lot of people playing secret hitler so i'm wondering if the community is really liked fake artist goes new york as well on there and has really played it a lot it's amazing. Like back before the COVID-19 pandemic, if you went on, there was at any given time, there was, I don't know, maybe two to 3000 people playing it worldwide. And that was kind of normal for an average day on Tabletop Simulator. I saw a stat that last night there was almost 37,000 concurrent players on last night. That's ridiculous. It's like a triple A big title game. Oh, I know. Because this is all distributed by Steam and because it's kind of peer to peer, There's really no scaling problems that we're seeing with some of the other solutions online. No, completely. And we'll talk about that in a bit with our other one. So So we're able to actually set up a game night and play virtually anything we would play in a normal game night. Now, there's some variability on the production of those things, but hey, we get that in real life gaming, too. Absolutely. And the teach and everything along those lines, you know, (laughs) it could be random on how, how, how good the experience is. For sure. The way we do it, we combine Tabletop Simulator along with Discord for voice chat. We don't do video. As one of our (laughs) friends online put it, I'm only one strip poker hand away from being obscene on the webcam, so I'm glad we're only doing audio. (laughs) Yeah, that's plenty enough for me, you know? (laughs) I don't have a webcam, and I don't... Well, (laughs) audio is plenty of good for us. We run audio only. We've got Discord set up where we've got a couple of rooms set up for each different table, and we've got a lobby. And we're all able to just free chat 
as we're playing the game and going around and experiencing our play. The things I love about Tabletop Simulator, like I mentioned, is the huge game library. I also like the fact that it provides the closest thing that currently exists to what we'd consider normal life in gaming. Now, it's not exact, and Jake will talk in a few minutes about some of the places where it comes up short, but for the most part, if you want to carry on a game night as close as possible to the game night you used to have, this is the best show in town for doing that. And it does actually provide a good experience in doing that once you've had the time to come up the learning curve on how to manipulate everything on there. Right. The other big thing I love about this is I love the fact that you can play extremely long games in sessions with this that in a way that just isn't practical with an actual board game. For example, you could conceivably with a friend play Twilight Struggle, which is a four hour game on most plays. You could play that over a week's worth of lunch periods and just play kind of one or two eras per lunch period. Save it. Pull it up the next day. Game is right where you left off. Play it again. Save it. Close it. And every day, load it. Join back in until you finish the game. And that's just not possible in real life and makes it possible to play some of these behemoth games. But I think we'd be remiss if we didn't tell a little bit of our complaints about some of the tabletop simulator thing. Even before when we do this often, we wouldn't really use tabletop simulator. So right. we like it a lot, especially for what's going on right now. And I, st- I, I could actually see us doing it more often. Um, the main issue, it's just too much. I can't play it late at night and be loud because I live in a small apartment. So one thing about that, Jake, just uh, thinking out loud here, we could text chat as we play. I mean, we typically do voice, but there's nothing that says we couldn't text chat while we played and kept it quiet. We could. Um, I think most likely an easier way to do it is just play at different times, just not super late. But I don't know. We'll figure it out. But let's start with some of my complaints here. You're obviously sitting in front of a computer. And with that, there is more distractions than I'd probably imagine in other things, especially if you have two monitors, as if I do. I don't know what it is about this. That's my theory on why it feels longer, because I have more distractions going on versus just sitting and staring at the game in real life. But the game, to me, is at least perceived as way longer than it actually is. So, for example, Mark and I played Great Western Trail the other day with a good friend. And we played it for, I think, two and a half hours start to end, including like a 15 minute round of teach and setup, right? Which, by the way, is an entirely appropriate time length for Great Western Trail. Could not agree more. And that was my next point of completely in the pocket of that's exactly what I expected for that to be. That's a little slower than we could play it at. But I'm not complaining about AP there. You know, it was about the right amount of time, right? But for some reason, if you were to ask me a two hour and 15 play of Great Western Trail online and a two hour and 15 Great Western Trail play in person... The online one felt eons longer. And I don't know if that's a personal thing to me or what, but for some weird reason, it just seemed like a longer playtime. And I think that's probably because you can't like focus your mind off of the game and like chat with somebody in the side room. seems like that doesn't work too well with voice chat. You can't kind of just zone out or go grab a beer or something or go stretch your legs. You kind of glued to to the TV or pardon me, the computer. So. And I wonder if that's not a factor of you're more active when you're playing in person. You know, you're right. you're standing up, you're grabbing a piece on the far side of the table, you're shuffling cards, you're dealing cards. There's some physical motion to what you're doing that just doesn't exist in this world. If you shuffle a deck, you just click over it and hit R and randomize the entire deck. Now, I'd argue that's a plus for the platform, not a minus, <laughs> right. but it does involve you being less active than you would in person. And I think that sometimes just Things happen faster and involve less inputs, so therefore there's just not enough stuff keeping you busy. That may just be a me thing, but and it also could be just summarized as, hey, this is a video game. It's not going to feel like an in-person hangout, right? But it's very good implication of a board game together compared to the other things that we do not like. Another downside is that, boy, this didn't even enter my brain. Like, I've spent a lot of my life in front of a computer. I've spent a lot of my life in front of a computer playing video games, and when I play video games with my son on the Xbox, I'm all thumbs, man. I, I am just ridiculously bad. I cannot keep up with him. He grew up playing every, all of his video games on the Xbox, so he's super good with the controller, and I'm all thumbs. And now when we play a, another video game online where I can play on the PC, I can keep up with him on a controller because I grew up playing all my games on the PC. Mouse and keyboard. It didn't enter my brain that not all of my friends had that experience. <laughs> and I'm learning that the hard way right now. Because it is playing a video game. You do have to be kind of adept at a mouse and a keyboard in order to move the pieces around accurately. And uh, turns out some of our friends are not. (laughs) Yeah. And and there's no real way to fix that. You know, you can't just have like buttons and say, okay, one is do one, two is do two. It's not like a play by text game. You know, you really have to be adept at moving around. 
That being said, it's not hard to get good at it. I recently picked up mouse and keyboard shooters from a long hiatus from like middle school about in the last three or four years. And I found it really easy. You know, it took a bit, but I figured it out. Yeah, we even saw over the course of the most recent play that competency in far as doing that went up dramatically over the course of playing the game. And I think that's kind of our main tip here, which we probably should have put in the tip section, but we'll just put it here in the complaint. Just spend five minutes. I'll, I'll say 20. Spend 20 minutes in Tabletop Simulator before you start doing this. Just do everything. Open up some chessboard, play around with it, figure out how to download some games, figure out all the hotkeys, read through all the hotkeys, see what each one of them does, see what each one of the options do. Just like click around. You're not going to break the game or anything. Just click. You can always control Z and reset the state of the game at any point. Right. And you can refix your bindings, too, and all that stuff. Just just play around, see what's out there, change things. And what I've actually done to help counteract that, too, is anytime I try to invite somebody into the environment, I make myself available ahead of time to just say, hey, I'll show you around the environment, you know, play with it with you, show you some examples of stuff you can do so that you can get comfortable with it before you got to sit down and play. And I think that's been very helpful. Agreed. And then you're totally right. After one play, you should be fine-ish. You should at least figure out how to do the next one. And each subsequent play will feel much less dragging of uh, your, your your actual maneuvering should be much more easy. And then you can actually get to a point where Mark and I play a two-player game. We can tear through a two-player game because you're not shuffling cards. You said R and it's shuffled. You know, there are some huge tools here. The two of us sitting down at a two-player game we know could burn through it in like half the time we'd play in an actual game. Right. And then we don't have to set up and tear down. We just flip the table once we're done. But sure. see, that that kind of dovetails into my other downside here. Our board game group and most board gamers are into board games because they're into board games. They're not into video games. This is a video game implementation of a board game. So your group really just may not like it. You know, we've seen a pretty a lot of people that be in the group every single week have not been able to join into the board game group online just because it's not they're, they're not interested in. It. I don't fault them for that at all. I can absolutely understand. but. Maybe talk to your group and make sure they'd be interested in this before you buy the whole four pack for 30 bucks or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, I had this conversation with a good friend of mine who just kind of said the same thing. He's like, man, the reason I'm into gaming is I like I like upgraded bits. I like holding things. I like <laughs> the physicality of it. And I like being shoulder to shoulder with my friends. And um, I, the way I explained it to him is I said, well, it's like this. It's like you're stranded on a desert island and you're probably going to be stranded on that desert island for the foreseeable future. And right. sitting on that desert island is an entire container load of spam. You don't really like spam, but you can you can choke it down. But it's not your first choice. But there's an entire container load of it sitting right there. And so for that first week, you kind of go, oh, man, spam. I don't really want to eat spam. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to nibble on this, whatever else I have left over from the, the, the good stuff. And, well, I'll wait till the good stuff's gone. And, you know, once you get hungry enough, that spam tastes pretty good. And. I'm kind of in that zone where I like gaming enough that I'm pretty hungry and that spam's tasting pretty good right now to me. Right. Absolutely. But we'd be remiss to at least not complain about it. And I'm in the same position. I am totally fine doing this. I'm trying to schedule my day. So I'm like on the phone a bunch of the afternoon and not in front of the computer so I can play online in the evening. Yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. One other downside that I think I'm going to call out on here is it's not as easy to teach games on this. It's certainly we've found that the games that people know better tend to go smoother not saying it's not doable and we'll probably adapt and get used to that as well but it's harder to uh you know grab a piece and waggle it so that everybody can see in the same way that you can in person and you know pass a card around or point at something on a board well and eye contact eye contact's a thing right you're probably not gonna make a really big point if your friend's staring off and ordering a beer you know but you can't quite right. tell if your friend's really paying attention right now because they're just sitting on the other end of the computer you know you don't know if they're focusing on their screen or not you know Right. But I have successfully taught some, you know, pretty beefy games like I taught Barrage last weekend and I ended up getting beat by the person that I taught it to. So, you know, <laughs> can't have gone that bad or I suck. <laughs> Take your pick. <laughs> one of the two. So with all, those our, two. with all our complaints and gripes, why don't we talk about some of the tips and tricks that have made us like Tabletop Simulator so much and make it so that we actually really enjoy things? Because we clearly like it. I mean, we, we, we enjoy what's going on here. For sure. All right. So moving on to kind of some of the tips and tricks that have made it so that we really enjoy Tabletop Simulator, because clearly we do. Um, I have some complaints about it. It's still rather playing games in person. But honestly, it's nice to not have to drive, not nice to not have to meet up. I feel like if we were to schedule something and be a little better, this could be a tool that we use in the future. 
But one of the tips that I think is tantamount to making sure that you actually enjoy this is friending the server host. Mark has a, has a Steam ID, and I can become friends with him on Steam, which is the like application to which Tabletop Simulator is on. Then whenever I go to the search for servers, I don't have to scroll through the 39,000 people's worth of servers. I just toggled show my friend servers only, and it immediately pops up the Mark server. Way faster, a little quicker to make sure you don't have to filter through all the garbage that's out there. And it's not the most amazing UI, especially for the servers. It kind of feels like an old CS source thing from like 2003. If you've got that friends thing toggled, you can get to it instantly. And again, just one less bit of friction it takes to get up and running. Yep. That's a lot of our tips are going to be around how to reduce the friction around the platform. And what I find the biggest friction reduction is learning the hotkeys that are involved with running the experience because, yeah, everything's available on menu and you can drag and drop things around and so forth. But there are a few key hotkeys that really make the experience fly. And learning a few of those things is going to make your experience go way, way, way better. And just want to talk about a couple of my favorites here quick. Like, if you look at the whole board in real life, you can pick something up and look at it closer. And you know what? As you turn out, you can do that on Tabletop Simulator as well. All you have to do is hover over the top of the thing you want to look at and hold down the Alt key on Windows or Option key on the Mac, and bam, the thing becomes full screen for you. And you can read that card in, well, you know, I'm over 50, so I can actually read the thing on my screen better than I can in real life in a dim bar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's a huge important key. And then you're also not disrupting the game by pilling it up and getting closer and being confused. All you have to do is hover over, hit that Alt, pops up. Getting good with movement keys, I think, is super important. So it actually uses most of the same keys that every uh, mouse and keyboard shooter uses to get around. That's very helpful. And then uh, little keys like R. R stands for randomize. If you hover over the top of any, no, a dice or a deck or a bag full of stuff and you hit R, it shuffles those things up for you way faster than doing it in person. So on a similar note, if you need to deal out a bunch of stuff to people, hover over the top of that and hit Five, and it'll deal five cards to everybody at the table. Lightning fast. Could not express how much this is important to just spend 15, 20 minutes playing around with everything, figuring out what the hotkeys do. Maybe even print off a sheet of paper that is each one of the hotkeys and what's important. And just use your Google foo out here, you know, just Google tabletop simulator ticks and tips and tricks and just people that even know better than we do. And we could learn a lot more. The other one that I think we should say with the hotkeys is movement is probably the thing that's hardest here. You're only looking at the screen. It's not your whole periphery. You can't quite see which other people are doing as well. And moving around may not be that easy for people that aren't as used to the to the mouse and keyboard life. Extrapolate that out to all the crew that's trying to play it on a trackpad on their laptop. Right. And so what you can actually do is you can save specific camera angles that you've previously gone into and then toggle between them. And the way that you can do that, at least on the default, is by doing alt, I believe, or control in the number. Again, check the actual hotkey thing whenever you're looking in a certain way, and then you can move around WSADA style. And then finally, you can hit shift N1 and you'll return back to that previous view. And you can do that with each individual number. So you can say, okay, one is the main board, two is my board, three is Mark's board, four is Phil's board. And instantly by just hitting shift in that number, I can toggle between all of them, which saves so much time. How is it that we just learned that one last Wednesday night? That's amazing. I know. It's huge. And yeah, that's that is such a time saver because you like I said, you can put a camera on the main board, you can put a camera on your home board, I can put a camera on your board so I can keep tabs of what's going on, and I can keep tabs on like the discard pile or something like that just by hotkeying from view to view to view. And then you don't even have to move around with WSAD, especially if you're a, a track pad player, which would be a lot easier. The final thing that's also kind of a different of that, but you can, this is actually it isn't a hotkey, but it's a, something that's important enough. I thought we should call it out. You can lock down certain aspects of the game. So everything in tabletop simulator is an object, so you can pick it up and do everything. But usually most of like the board and everything is at least locked down. And so what that means is if you right click on any object, you can pull up a whole bunch of attributes of them. And one of them on a slider is called locking. And if you lock it, that means unless you right click and then re untoggle the locked thing, you won't be able to pick it up and interact with it easy. So let's take, for oh, example, go oh, ahead, Jake, let me give you some TTS foo hover oh. and hit L. Oh my gosh, you got to figure it out. Hover and hit L, it's even easier. So, but the reason why that's so important is let's take a game like Great Western Trail that has a bunch of player board with a pieces on it. I just locked down my player board, locked down a bunch of other things on it as well. And now whenever I want to move something, 
it's way easier to drag and make a little box to pick up all the items instead of actually individually like picking up each individual item. So it just makes it a lot easier to make sure you can do that. There's a million applications. I do that to so many things on the board. We have a friend named Eric who is uh, notorious for wearing long sleeved shirts to every gaming session. And he uh, air quotes, Eric sleeves the parts pretty frequently. Like (laughs) he'll reach across to grab something and he'll knock seven things over with his sleeve. And so the L key helps you from Eric sleeving in the virtual world. Yeah, it's it's super amazing. Could not recommend that enough. And it saves a lot of time and a lot of anger because they can't really mess anything up anymore. You know, anyway, that's a quick overview on Tabletop Simulator and some of our favorite parts of it and some of the uh, things to watch out for. That's our go to for face to face real time gaming. You can play 18xx on there. Maybe not our favorite way to play 18xx, Jake. Why don't uh, don't don't give our listeners a little overview of what our favorite way to play 18xx, both in person and asynchronously. All right. What that looks like. So we use Tabletop Simulator, as Mark said, for 99% of our real-time gaming. I play one app, and I think it'd be silly to not cut it out. But for all the other stuff, we use Tabletop Simulator, except for 18xx. For 18xx, we use a website called Board18. It's just a quick little website. You can figure out an invite, shoot me an email, and I can get you an invite to it. And what you do functionally is the Board18 is a website that shows both the board and the stock market tracker. But then you have a shared Google spreadsheet that for each one of the ORs and SRs oscillates between how to be able to like actually do your money and runs and stuff. So all you're doing on the board is putting down tiles, putting down tokens, but you're actually indicating what you're doing on the spreadsheet for costs. Then with communication for board 18, and I'm going over this way faster than tabletop simulator, because if you you want to get into this, there's a little bit of a learning curve Just shoot us an email and I'll happily walk you through it. But for actually the communication in real time, um, Board 18 plays for 18xx. We usually use the same thing. We use the same Discord channel and we have a handful of people get in there and we just announce our turns and make all of this spreadsheet and Board 18 moves whenever it's your turn. But you can also play, and Mark and I actually probably did this more than any other way to play games online, you can play this asynchronously. So what that means is whenever it's my turn, I take my turn and I tell the next person who's up, I at them in a Slack channel saying, hey, you're up now. And then they take their turn and use the same thing. They use the same board 18 sheet. They use the same Google spreadsheet and they announce their turn on that Slack thread. Some tips with this, you can use board 18 to be pseudo real time and it actually saves a lot of the annoyance I've found with tabletop simulator. It's not enforced, but you can only put down tiles in a certain way that's legal. And it helps to have the spreadsheet master there. So what that means is these Google spreadsheets, you make a new tile or you make a new tab for each one of the ORs and SRs. It helps make a lot more sense if just one person runs all that stuff and has them almost be like the banker. So the good news, and we'll talk about it shortly, is that we did get a chance to play a real time game of 18 Chesapeake on board 18 somewhat recently. And I'm pretty sure we were able to knock that game out significantly quicker than we were able to in real life. And even more pertinently, with people that didn't live geographically near us. No, it was really cool to be able to play with some new folks. And there's a huge community of people out there that play 18xx games online. I'm assuming if you're listening to us and you're into 18xx games, you're at least somewhat aware of that. But if you're not, shoot me a note. We'd be we'd love to walk you through how to play online because, I mean, it's really fun being able to play async. Um, Board 18 works synchronously as well to play at the same time, but to play async, you can really think about your turns, really nerd out about not optimal play, but kind of all your options. And there's not the social pressure to say, okay, take your turn, take it as quickly as possible. You know, you can spend five, 10, hell, even 15 minutes, you're off to a meeting. You can kind of just passively let it uh, marinate in the background there, thinking about what you're going to do with your turn. And personally, I think my win rate in Board 18 online asynchronous games is dramatically higher than in-person games. Yeah, I mean, I would too. Not actually much slower, but <laughs> that's fine. I think it probably depends on the title and who I'm playing with. But yeah, it's really fun. The main downside, and I think we'd be remiss to not say this, it literally looks like you're doing your job. Like this is one of the few things I'm totally <laughs> well, fine is, having is that, up. Is that a downside? I mean, in the days when you were in an office, having a game that looked like a job? Oh, it's great. I mean, if people peek, peek over your shoulder, it's literally a Google spreadsheet. It looks like a product manager or like a project management sheet. But I mean, that's different for some people. Like I have a friend who's an accountant. He doesn't want to spend all day right after looking at spreadsheets all day to have fun looking at spreadsheets. So just know that you're literally interacting with a spreadsheet and a pretty janky website to play the game. It does not feel super fun. But 
It doesn't have the same rules enforcement. You can actually break the rules. You could put down a thousand for your payout if it's only 10. So it still feels like we're playing the game and enforcing it. And we much prefer this to the other way you can play online. Yeah, this is kind of board 18. We're, we're big fans. But likewise, especially when you're playing asynchronously, everything's auditable because you diary out all your moves and you can see on the spreadsheet all the changes. Boy, the number of times I've had somebody come back and go, hey, uh, <laughs> that run for 220 that you did, you actually could have done 260. It was like, oh, all thank right. you. Thanks Didn't for see that. Yeah, that happens yeah. to me all the time. It just happened to me. I divided the shares by five instead of by four because it's only four shares right now. And I was like, oh, my gosh, yeah. runs for 45, not 35. OK. And also, too, another grid power of that is the vast majority of the 18xx titles have been implemented in board 18. So if there's a title out there you want to just try, this is a good way to do it because not all 18xx titles are super available or super available easily. So it's a good way to test run some of these titles before you sync what could be $150 on a title you may not like. Agreed. We do that very often with these new titles that are released. And it's just, it's, it's fun. It's, it's annoying. You have to learn the game online. Some of the spreadsheets don't represent the rules very well and you got to kind of focus on it. But if you're into trains, my guess is most likely you, you're aware of all these issues anyways. Exactly. Now using these tools, let's talk about what we played this week because the vast majority of these were played on one of those two systems. First, starting with the game that I think we enjoyed, enjoyed the wrong word, feels like the most marquee game that we played together this past week played Great Western Trail by Alexander Pfister, published by Eggertspiel, on Tabletop Simulator. Oh, you know, this is one of our favorite games, and we've played it a whole bunch. Uh, you and I, I think, both laugh at how notoriously bad we are at it. I proved my worth there. I, pr- I was not even close <laughs> to being in competition. You were, which is dumb. You know, you, you, you betrayed me there by actually being competent at this game. I had a pretty good game. I did not win, but uh, I put up a heck of a fight. You certainly did. The tabletop simulator implementation of this was really great. I don't remember which specific one it was because I think there was two, but this one did not have the rails to the north expansion in it. And that was a little bit of a bummer to me. I know you've never tried it, Mark, but I'm at a point with Great Western Trail that I don't think I'll ever play without the rails to the north. For one, it features Minneapolis as a location you can ship cows to. Big important to me. But on the other hand, it just kind of opens it up a little bit. I keep on trying to do this thing with base grace, great Western trail called like ignore the Cowboys strategy. And it's never once worked. (laughs) And I don't know why I keep on trying to break the game like this, because this is usually not how I play games. But I have just beholden on the fact that I feel like I should be able to ignore the cows, be able to like call my hand and get a handful of other things to get some points. And not once have I been viable. So don't know if you should quite listen to me here. Yeah, I have mixed feelings on that topic. Like, I for sure want to try the Rails of the North thing, for, definitely. But on the other hand, I, I feel like I still have not cracked the base game yet, Like, because I'm still bad at it, right? I still haven't won. So I feel like I shouldn't play Rails of the North till I at least win the base game once so that I can say that I somewhat figured that out. In the base game, your winning is highly dependent on how efficiently you execute the get a whole bunch of cows and get a whole bunch of cowboys. I would suspect, and God knows I'm not an expert at this, but at higher level play that everybody's doing that. And then it comes down to kind of the second place things that you do, like how well you get rid of obstacles and get victory points from that and how well you complete the scoring bonus goals on that and so forth. But when, you know, there's three of us and one person isn't even trying to get cows, well, then one person can buy a whole bunch of cows and run away with the game. I don't know. On one hand, I like the purity of the strategy of the base game. On the other hand, there is kind of one main strategy in the base game and winning should come down to who does the second place things the best. So I don't know. That's my take on Rails to the North and Great Western Trail, but still love the game. Um, I think we played it in, you know, no longer than we would have played it in real life. And I suspect on subsequent plays would play it shorter because there was wasted time with new players on Tabletop Simulator getting used to the interface. Beyond that, yeah, heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm always a huge fan of this game. And for a game that we're both so bad at, we just love it, which I think is testament to the game, because there's a lot of people I know that really like a game if they win it the first time we play. The fact that I put Great Western Trail in, I think, my top 20 of games, and I win it like one out of every 10 times, I think that shines pretty well on how amazing it is, you know? I've never felt like I've played it optimally yet, even with multiple plays. I still feel like there's stuff I want to explore and try differently. Like this time, I purposely tried making it into a race game and just buying cows. (sighs) And I still lost. (laughs) But the fact that this many plays into it, there's still stuff to explore. I mean, this is going to be an evergreen title for both us and my family as well. My family likes this game an awful lot. Got it. So that is Great Western Trail by Alexander Pfister and published by Eggert Spiel. 
Speaking of eggs, we got another another egg themed <laughs> game on Tabletop Simulator. A plus transition there, Jake. Way to hit I the buzz. I know. We've been podcasting for a while now. I'm pro now. I know. I know how to do this stuff. <laughs> Let me not interrupt you any farther, Jake. You were saying. Oh, you want me to do it? Okay. Speaking of egg transitions, I'll do it. I, I have to hit it twice now because of how funny it is. We played Eggs of Ostrich by Shimpei Sato and published by Conception Games on Tabletop Simulator. Eggs of Ostrich is a little three-player only Japanese-style card game. And what that means is it's super simple, about as light as a game could get, but the amount of thinking in it, pretty awesome. So what you're doing is we are different ostrich havers who have four different sized bags <laughs> and trying to fill these with, 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 with eggs. Egg collectors, maybe? <laughs> totally normal thing. So each round, I'm going to flip over a card from a small deck. That's going to reveal a number. Let's say it's nine. Then each one of us has four different egg baskets or bags that we can put these in. Each one of those is assigned a number. So two, three, five, seven. Is that it? Yeah. And that represents how many eggs will fit in that bag. Correct. And how many points it's worth if it has the maximum number of eggs in it. We're each going to randomly choose one of these bags. And this is done by choosing a card from our hand and flipping it up. Depending on however many people chose a number, there's another kind of card you can choose. Everybody only has one of it, but you'll evenly divide the amount of eggs in the middle by the number of people put a card. So if we all put out three, for example, in that example, there was nine, nine divided by three is three. We're each going to fill up our three bag. Woo, we're done. If you ever overfill a bag, so let's say, for example, we both did three, but then Phil was dumb, dumb and did two. His two egg bag breaks. He loses all the bags, which are worth points at the end, and it's bad for him. But the other thing you can do in the game, instead of choosing one of your bags to put in, you can put a skip card down. And what a skip card means is you will no longer be partaking in the division of the eggs in the middle. So in that same example, if Phil did a skip, Mark and I both did three, we are both going to get nine eggs divided by two, which is four eggs, rounded down in this game, and we will both break our three bag, meaning that we will not have any points for our threes, nor for any of the four eggs we just took, which is bad. Combine that with a handful of other ways to get points, not a handful, there's literally one other way, some amber that you can get, I think is what it's called. That's it. That's the whole game. And I loved how simple this game is because I think I actually full taught it. I think by gesturing to things (laughs) and playing what I just did, you can play the entire game. And oh, it was so cool. You've been trying to get me to play this one for a long time. And I've kind of not been apprehensive, but I was worried because it's small in Japanese and I was worried I'd have to buy a copy of it. And I love this game. I think it's really cool, but I don't think I need to own it. Sure. Well, and I think there's a lot of times that uh, I will be around when it is, uh, when we are going to play it. And It is three player only, so there's a limited number of times you can play it. Having said that, it seems like there's an awful lot of times I'm playing with three players. So I've actually gotten a crazy amount of plays on this one. And this game was originally introduced to me by our friend Ashley at Gen Con last summer. And I I immediately had to go own a copy of it. And I was just shocked to find that it existed on Tabletop Simulator. Right. How cool is that? The other kind of thing I really love about this game is it does that thing in what's the movie? Uh. Uh, Princess Bride. Princess Bride, right. where the yes. bald guy is sitting on the cape with the 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 guy. I can't remember the map, the masked guy, and they're trying to. He's trying to figure out who poisoned who because I think they're doing something like if he drinks the poison or whatever. Like, and he's getting all this. Men- no, it's not that one. It's with the other guy, the blonde guy. And oh, right. yes. he's thinking like, okay, so if you put the poison to my cup and then swap the cups, then you would think that I'd think that. Therefore, you would think that I would take your cup. And all these things. And he goes on for like 15 minutes. It's like a big joke. It's a big bit of how much this guy's overthinking it. But what's fun is Eggs of Ostrich does that kind of if-then thinking, which out of a game that's this simple, you would not think it happened. You'd be like, okay, well, I know Phil can't do this, but Phil would Phil do this? What's the kind of guy Phil is? You know, and you're trying to – immediately the game falls away. You're trying to figure out who's doing what. And it's just – it's so fun to think of all the if-thens and going down that little rabbit hole of self-thought. You know, it packs all of that into what's what amounts to a 10 minute game. Like if you're as AP as you could possibly be in this game, it's going to take you 10 minutes. And that includes the one or two minute teach. It's a super simple, packs a lot into a very short game. Yeah, I would love if another publisher were to take this up, but they'd probably try to make it more player count liking, which probably wouldn't work out well if they're to widen the player count here. I think the whole fun is kind of guessing the only two people. Ostrich minis. Oh, yeah, you'd need the ostrich minis. Yeah, I mean, we need uh <laughs> We need to come on to publish this now and have ostrich minis where you actually put the eggs into each bags and they have like an exploding bottom in there. And oh, that'd be amazing. I want to spend $80 on this and just pollute yeah. the oceans more. No, it wouldn't be. <laughs> Stupid I'm, I'm happy minis. with my Japanese. <laughs> but, you know, honestly, Renegade or somebody like that that kind of like picking up Japanese games and republishing them. Get after it. Yeah, no, completely agree. This is a super fun game. 
That's Eggs of Ostrich by Shinpei Sato and Conception Games. Um, pick it up if you're ever in Japan or really like importing games from Japan because it's a it's a pretty sweet little game. Another online play that I got a chance to play recently with some friends of mine from the Atlanta area is my so far favorite game of the year, Barrage by Tomasto Batista, Simone Luciani and Cranio Creations. This is something that uh, a friend of mine in Atlanta wanted to learn how to play and wanted to learn how to play tabletop simulator better. So we uh, bucked up on a I think it was a Sunday afternoon and just cranked through the entire game and First up, I, I got to give a shout out for how well this is implemented in Tabletop Simulator because one of the uh, conceits of this game is this resource wheel that when you go build something, you put the resources on the wheel and you turn it a notch and you keep turning this and you don't get those resources back until the wheel has made a complete loop around and comes back out again. And that's not something that maps super well to a virtual sandbox, but they scripted it all out. So literally all you got to do is put the pieces in there and click in the middle. It automatically clicks the thing once oh, and rearranges great. everything nicely inside there. And I couldn't believe how well it worked. That's great. That little bit of automation just saved a whole lot of futzing around. And we're able to actually play a full three-player game of Barrage. And uh, once again, much in the same vein as uh, Great Western Trail, I don't believe I have won this game yet, but continue to be more and more fascinated about how deep the rabbit hole is in this game. I really think this one's going to be a modern classic. We just keep on thinking of ways to out ourselves as bad game players. <laughs> <laughs> what, Why are we doing what is this? The, the old thing, those that can do, those that can't podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's clearly it. No, we teach gym. <laughs> we teach game gym. Exactly. So... Yeah, this is one that I'm excited to play more with you and give you another chance at it now that, well, last time you played it, we had some rules wrong, which made it more painful than it should have been. Looking forward to playing this one again with you sometime soon. We almost played it Wednesday night. Yeah, we we, we should have. I'm a big fan of it. We were trying to wrap it up a little earlier, and I'd really like to spin back to this one so we can actually figure out what I 100% think on it. I think I'm going to like this game, but I think it's in between... That was fun. I enjoy playing this. I'm always going to play it to something I really love, and I I, I want to figure out where I land on it. The second play pushes you in one direction or the other pretty fondly. It's, it's rare that I played a second time through with you and you went, yeah, it's about what I thought of it. <laughs> you usually like it more or like it less. And I'm curious. I, I, I hope it's one over the other because I want to play this a lot more. Yeah, no, completely agree. It does have a lot in common with a lot of other games that we collectively like. So, you know, the Magic 8 Ball says uh, all signs are positive. I, I just think I had a bad experience the first time, you know, left a bad taste in my mouth. Doesn't mean I didn't like the steak. It just might be overcooked. So the thing we did in the first round is we <laughs> made a big rules error that didn't pay out things quite as much, which made everything tighter than it should have been. And well, beyond that, too, we we, we randomly draft, drafted the powers and I was the USA one, which apparently is the most hard first play one. It's the hardest to like figure yeah. out how to really milk or juice, you know, and so I was just over here trying to lean into that. And I don't think it worked out too well. Plus, there was just like a handful of small strategy decisions I made in the wrong order and it just didn't work. This is a game that definitely benefits from having played before and seeing just sort of how the pieces move through the machine. Absolutely. That's Barrage. Don't have a ton to say about it, but did get a chance to play it again. And boy, I need more plays on that one. Um, another game we've been talking about playing forever and ever and ever, and somehow seems like it's always the bridesmaid, never the bride, is Root. My kids have been seeing this on the shelf and they're just like, Dad, when are you going to teach us Root? Dad, when are you going to teach us Root? I've sort of been scratching my chin about when is the right time to teach my kids a war game. We might have had some extra time around the house over the past couple of weeks. So I pulled it out and said, all right, kids, we're going to learn how to play Root. Boy, forgot how much I love this game and have also had the opportunity to play some of the new factions finally as well. So I'm excited. Oh, tell me what you think about those, because I have yet to try any of the expansion ones. Yeah. So the only one I've tried so far, uh, the first game, we kept it very vanilla since it was a teaching game. We played, I think the, the first game we played, it was the we played the cats and the birds and the trash panda. And my 11-year-old daughter gutted us as the trash panda because my son didn't really understand that it really is kind of a three-legged stool of keeping the game balanced. And he would attack me when I was way behind and just let my daughter run away with it. We've figured that out since then, so that's good. Second play, we got my wife involved and sat down to play that with her. And I vowed, I'm like, okay, I'm going to try an expansion because I've got all of the expansions for this one. And I've never played any of the expansion factions. So I picked out and played the Riverfolk Company, which is the uh, the financial model faction, uh, financial model tribe. Man, that's really cool. Yeah. The idea of Jake behind the Riverfolk is that everything's for sale. 
things cost warriors. So what happens is my whole hand is just sitting out open on the table. All my cards are open on the table and you can buy those from me. You can also buy my boats to take a trip down the river instead of going through the trails. So you can actually shortcut from place to place down the river. And you can also buy mercenaries from me. So if like you're in the same clearing as one of my warriors, you can actually pay my guy to fight with you and to get extra warriors. Oh, really? So every round, I price what those guys are at. So maybe it's two warriors to get a card. It's one warrior to get a boat ride. And it's two warriors to get a mercenary. And you pay out of your like mer- warrior pool, not the ones on the board, but just the ones on the side. And those now become action pawns for me, basically. So I, if I have your workers, I can then use those as action pawns to take more actions myself. And if I have a couple of your workers, I can use those to establish trading posts, which um, allow people to do multiple trades with me. And it also gives me victory points. <laughs> Man, it, It's amazing to me that there is a corner of that game that is so wildly different than everything we've played before, yet is interesting of its own accord. Well, that's the thing that I find so cool about Root is the factions are not that different, but how each one of them plays against each other with the fact that they're different enough, you know, and the fact that you could buy everything. So, you know, everything works, right? Mm-hmm. But you get to change that with pricing on buying something. That seems really, really cool. I'd love to try it. I have the expansion sitting in my game, but I have this weird new complaint with Root where I don't know if I'm playing it the right way because I don't have the fixed game board. And I don't know why it's just been, it's it makes me not want to pull out the game because I don't know if I'm playing it correct. I'm still putting this in air quotes because it's a dumb, dumb thought, but it's it's made me not want to pull out my own copy. But hearing you say it's really fun makes me really want to try this whenever we get back to normal with our life. I have personally seen the tabletop simulator implementation of this one is aces, man. It's really well done. You know, you can kind of have your cake and eat it, too. We can play it with the new rules and we can play with all the expansions and stuff online. So I don't know that we need to wait until we get back to person again. That could totally work. I think they do do some play testing on tabletop simulator. So I bet you it's a really good implementation. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did a great job on it. That is Root by Leader Games and designed by Cole Worley. Big fans. Moving to other Minnesota-designed games. <laughs> we that was the also, transition I was going to go with, so I get, know, out, of my brain. We get out of my brain. I'm just in there, Mark. We played 18 Chesapeake, designed by Scott Peterson and published by All Board Games. Played this on Board 18 Live with a new friend, which was really fun. Thanks for playing with us, Eric. And it was just great. I mean, I love Chesapeake. I have yet to see somebody attempt to really suitcase a company in this game. And somebody tried to in this game without having the special private so you can cut off a company from the main board. And I saw somebody do it and it was really fun to see somebody do it because I was able to tear them down by just connecting through. And I think what we did is we were being very kind to Mr. Mark over there and Eric and I were (laughs) waging huge war on each other trying to destroy everyone's positions. And it was dumb. I was just playing that. Don't look at me. Just over here. Just doing nothing. Don't mind me coming through. Excuse me. Don't mind me. Gotcha. Yeah. And and I actually don't think that was a real reason I lost. I think I lost because I had an opportunity to float two companies and I floated the worst of the two because I was trying to see if I could get some value through the south of Washington, D.C. and down. And there, you, you can't. I don't know why I keep on trying to do that. Just play what's good. You know that the orange company is better early in the game. Just get into New York, figure it out. So anyway, that was 18 Chesapeake. Big fan of it. Do you still like it, Mark? Yeah. And actually, that is the first time I have played that in, geez, year and a half, maybe, because We had an early pre-production copy of it that we later on sent off to uh, Mr. Rob down in Australia as a secret Santa gift. And we haven't had a copy locally of it. So that means I haven't played it in a really long time. And I I really like this title. I forgot how much fun it is. I had completely forgotten what companies are good and which ones are not. So I kind of had to figure it out on the fly. And I had the case where, you know, sometimes those games of 18xx where you win, you just always seem to be in the right place at the right time. That was me. Like I was always buying the train. I always had the exact right amount of money at the exact right time to buy the train right before somebody else needed it. And just it seemed like I never had a foot out of place. Yeah, no, it worked out well. And I think that was mainly because we didn't try to shove you to make your foot fall out of place. <laughs> uh, clearly, yes. Well, I don't know. I It was weird. I think both of us were just trying to start a whole bunch of companies and it didn't work out. But 18 Chesapeake is amazing. I really like it for what it is. It's a pretty quick little learning game. And I'm actually really excited because today I saw some Twitter posts from people in Australia who got their copies from the Kickstarter earlier and they look amazing. So 
Should be fun to play it again. Ours are on the boat. They should be here soon. And then we'll get them in person. And we can look at them and then realize we're never going to play them with other people until <laughs> the corona is over and uh, we can cry yeah. alone together. That is the, uh, the, the the bittersweetness of getting Kickstarter deliveries in the middle of quarantine, isn't it? Agreed. So that was 18 Chesapeake by Scott Peterson and All Board Games. Still a big fan of it. It's a fun 1830 clone with a little bit of the harsh edges of track length. Kind of polished off, would you say, maybe? I think so. Made a little bit more, uh, some bumpers around it, I guess. So it's you know a little more polished, focused experience. Maybe that's the right way of saying it. Yeah, a little more focused, a little bit less pity. You can't really fall into pits of bad decisions and ruin your game. Kind of like uh, not full uh, gutter bumpers, maybe gutter bumpers down half the lane. Yeah, yeah. You can still definitely get a gutter ball. <laughs> We've seen that happen, but <laughs> yeah, it's not as often that you're going to get a gutter ball. You played a couple other Uva Rosenberg games that I regrettably yeah. didn't get to play with you because I believe you play these in person. How did you do that, Mark? Did you cut quarantine lines? Well, the COVID police are coming for you, no, by the way. no. Now, I do want to call out quickly. I played a game of online Agricola. Oh, that was online. It was oh. online. Yep. I played it on Boitajou. And Boitajou is a, uh, a website where it's a fully managed rules scripted game. Agricola is great. Boitajou, not so much. Like one of the players, our friend Dan Dom, basically said, wow, this is the most boring thing I've ever played. And I couldn't disagree with them, even though I love Agricola. Something about having the game just run for me just made it really boring. And I had a hard time focusing and figuring out what was going on. But not to take anything away from Ashley, she crushed us like a sheep patty out in the pastures that she had all over the place. Absolutely. She is known to do that. She is mean. Anyway, just wanted to call that out. That's an example of the kind of online gaming we do not so much care for. But I'm glad I got a chance to play Agricola and with a couple of very good friends. So that was fun. But that's always a win. The game I did get to play locally was Rakeholt, which was a birthday present from our good friend Uncle Kirk. Nice. Yeah, Rakeholt is a, a somewhat recent release from Uwe Rosenberg. It's a uh, ostensibly about farming in Iceland. Yes, they do do farming in Iceland. It's all greenhouse related. I personally have toured said greenhouses, so this falls broadly into my collection of uh, games from places that I've been in my life, and so I was super interested in it. It's a riff on the older game at the gates of Lo Yang. But honestly, Jake, it was less similar to that than I actually thought it was like you had. I think you told me ahead of time that, well, it's pretty much just a reskin of at the gates of Lo Yang, didn't you? Well, that's what I've heard. I mean, all it is is cultural zeitgeist information I see on the Internet, right? Right. So I'm happy to hear that it's different because I like gates of Lo Yang, but I was not interested in playing a less good gates of Lo Yang. Right. And you've played both. So what are some of the differences then? The biggest difference is that whole bit about drafting cards at the beginning is just gone, right? That doesn't exist at all. It's now a worker placement game that's completely deterministic, meaning that if you make the same moves, the game is going to turn out exactly the same way. And as a result, it's both simultaneously less and more. Like, I think it's a it's simpler, like it's way simpler to teach and it's way simpler to understand. Yet, I feel like there's actually some more strategic meanness and some more tricky, tricky things you can do and more thinky to it. Like, I think it's a shorter, more refined game than at the Gates of Lo Yang, yet does not give up any of the uh, any of the depth of Gates of Lo Yang. And I, I was really a big fan of it after playing it. Yeah, I'd like to try it. And I like the the new art on it. And I kind of like the theme more, especially when it's not as having all of the same art to be the exact same with different disguises put on them. All the arts <laughs> like same and they just have different colors for the pants and stuff and different like facial mustaches, beards and stuff. But right. that being said, I think it's a cool game and it's fun that's built off on another game that we really like being Antiquity by the Splatter Folk. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to try it. It'd be fun to kind of do an A-B comparison, play Raykul in the next couple of weeks and then play Gates Yang after that as well. Just kind of see how different they truly are. Yeah, unfortunately, I have not been able to find a online implementation of Raykul. Maybe it exists on Tabletopia or something. I'll have to look at that. But it definitely does not exist on Tabletop Simulator. That's one of the uh, one of the few omissions on there because... I was going to teach it to the other night and realized it's not there. So Dang it. that will be a hurdle to playing in person. It will be a quick teach, I think, because there are parts of it that are straight out of Gates of Lo Yang and Agricola and Caverna. That whole put a vegetable down and fill up the vegetable field thing. It's straight out of Lo Yang. It's like it's identical. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I really want to try it. That's Ray Colt. Certainly, I think we played it three times in very quick order in our family and really, really enjoyed our plays of it. 
So that is Rakeholt by Uva Rosenberg and Renegade Game Studios. I give that one a thumbs up. I would call that a 2C on the gaming mogul scale. I think that's probably the pocket it's in. I'm excited to try it, especially when games punch above their weights for rule-wise. So that's all the games we have, which is kind of a more abridged list than they normally are. Usually we have to cut games out. This one we're even talking about ones we don't even have much really to talk about. Well, sign of the times. I mean, on, on one hand, I'm getting more opportunities to game, but gaming less. I don't know. It's strange. But, you know, that's the world we live in these days. What are you going to do? All right. Well, we hope everybody's staying safe at home. Quarantine as much as you can. Make sure that we can get over this. And if you want to reach out to us and play an online game, I promise we have a lot of time. So reach out to us. We'd love to love to play with some, some listeners. Yep. And just uh, stay tuned at the very end. You can hear the multitude of ways that you can actually get a hold of us. And I'll extend the same thing. Please, please stay safe, everybody. Take the warning seriously. We want to see all you guys out on the other side and play with you in person, hopefully at a convention somewhere around the country as soon as possible. And the better we do at this, the quicker we get back to normal life. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. This has been the Gaming Moguls Podcast, co-hosted by Mark Teske and Jake Klopfenstein. Please find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Feel free to join our Board Game Geek Guild, guild number 3431. Find us on Instagram and Twitter, at Gaming Moguls. Or reach us via email, jake at gamingmoguls.com or mark at gamingmoguls.com. If you like the Gaming Moguls Podcast, please tell a friend. Thanks for listening.